So let's jump back into our series that we started last week. I'll give you a quick recap. Our series is called Skeptics Welcome, which is interesting. Um, you know, not really a, a phrase you'll see on a lot of the boards outside of churches. You know, those nice billboards. You don't, you don't usually see Skeptics Welcome. But you know why we say that? Because everybody's welcome at Echo Community Church. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome here. Because Jesus welcomed everybody around him. And at Echo, we want to echo everything that Jesus was, the way that he lived, the way that he talked, the way that he treated people. And if everybody was welcome around Jesus, then he's welcome here too. So we say skeptics are absolutely welcome here. And, and last week we talked a little bit about what it means to grow spiritually. And we talked about one particular way of imagining spiritual growth that we want to try and get out of your mind. Do you remember what that was? Which way did we say this is not the way you want to think about spiritual growth? Like a ladder, okay? We don't want to think of spiritual growth like a ladder. It's not like climbing another step higher to Jesus, and when I have a bad day or drop a bowling ball on my foot and say something I shouldn't, I fall the whole way back down to the bottom. Because when you think of spiritual growth like a ladder, you always feel like you're better than somebody and worse than somebody. You're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't rate me against somebody else. Instead, we turned that ladder on its side and said spiritual growth is more like a continuum. It's like a line extending infinitely in two directions. And you and I are just little dots. And somewhere on that line we are this morning. And we're moving in one direction or another. On this side, like if you just thought of this speaker as being the, the far extreme, that's being nothing like Jesus. Being completely against Jesus. That's at one end of the line. And on the other end of the line, if you imagine that speaker over there being, being the other end, it's being just like Jesus. And every human being on the face of the earth is just a little dot somewhere on this line. We're either really close to, to being like Jesus or we're really far or somewhere in the middle. And we're moving in one direction and the other slowly, incrementally. We're either in the process of becoming less like Jesus or in the process of becoming more like Jesus. Every human being on the face of the earth. So uh, from, in this context, thinking, you know, the way that God views everybody, there's really just two important questions for everybody on the face of the earth to answer. And the answer to those two questions will determine where you're at spiritually. Are you growing spiritually? And those two questions are this. Where is your dot in relation to Jesus? Where are you? How close to Jesus are you? And in what direction are you moving? Was there a day or a year in your life you were closer to Jesus than you are today? You moved a little bit then. You moved a little this way. But maybe... You found yourself over about this point on the line a while ago, and you say, you know what, I'm not the whole way over there yet. In fact, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus or if I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. But I'm in a church this morning. I've been thinking about it. I've been considering it, and I am, I am moving in this. You are growing spiritually. Spiritual growth is any time we're moving incrementally closer to Jesus. And thought this way, that can happen way before you choose to even follow Jesus. You could be way here over on this side. Last week... We, we, we gave you a couple stops along the journey, a couple stages that people, not everybody goes through, but there's just a couple stages. We said, you know, real far down this way is, 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 the, is just the person with the hands over their ear, and we gave it a word. We said, that, that's the sour place. I'm not wore your arms out last week, too, dude. I'm very sorry. I didn't realize you had arthritis in both shoulders. You're tough. You sit up here the whole time, much tougher than me. But, uh, you know, and this, the sour person says, I'm closed to Jesus. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. They're not neutral when it comes to Christians, church. They don't want to, in fact, they get kind of militant. They're anti-everything Jesus. You might know somebody like that. You can't, you can't invite them to church. You can't talk about God. You can't wear your little Jesus fish t-shirt. You know, you can't do any of that stuff around them. They're sour. Okay, they don't even want to hear it. The Apostle Paul was there at a point in his life. He said, I was so sour to Jesus, I didn't want to hear it. In fact, I tried to kill anybody who even brought up Jesus around me. Those people are intimidating to try and reach out to. Last week, we talked about how 
how we help them grow spiritually. We, we, we try and get them to a place, maybe a little closer this way, called the skeptic. And that person has kind of, his hands aren't over his ears or her hands aren't, aren't over there, but they're kind of, I got some questions about Jesus. I got some issues with church. I've got some, I've got a little bit of a skeptical view of preachers and pastors. And they're just kind of right here. Their, their hands aren't over their ear yet, but they've got some questions. The Apostle Paul was there for a while, too. He was, getting, he was getting educated, and as he got educated, he had issues about who Jesus was and questions about who his followers were, and he was there for a little while. And what we said was our goal with the, with the skeptical person is to try and listen to them and engage them in something and encourage them to maybe move to being a little bit closer to Jesus where they uncross their arms. And now they're a seeker. They'll say, you know what, I will fully throw myself into investigating my questions and my issues. I'll think about Jesus. I'll investigate Jesus. I'll try church out. I'll, I'll read that book you told me. I'll flip on the program. I'll have a conversation. I'll verbalize what my issues are and talk. And what we're trying to do is, is with, with someone who's seeking that, you know what we want them to do? We want to come to a place where they say right here, where they, right here we call it saved. They surrender their life to Jesus. So, you know, you can, you can move either way. You know, I've seen people who, who come in the world and they're just kind of neutral towards Jesus. And then they start thinking about him a little bit and try out a church and they have a really bad experience. And now they're skeptical about this whole thing because they walked into a church that said, we love you, we like you, and nobody talked to me and I didn't fit in. And, and the pastor all he talked about was money. And, and I walked out and I heard the same language in the hallway that I do at work. And so now I've got issues with Christianity. So I'll try it again. And then when they tried it again, they got treated the same way. Now I said, I want nothing to do with it. You can move either way down the line, right? So today we just want to simply talk just for a moment about what happens. Last week we spent, you can go back and listen to the podcast and, and uh, you can go to our website, look it up, last week's message. And if you want to catch up on that, we talked about moving from sour to skeptical to skeptical to seeker, seeker to safe. Not everybody goes through all those stages. They're just some kind of big placeholders that Paul went through in his life. So today we want to talk about what happens at this point from the moment that I get saved. Because a lot of people think, man, I asked Jesus into my heart two years ago, and by God, I'm good to go. There's nothing more to do. I've got as much as Jesus as I want. And that's horrible to say. I know a lot of people spent most of their Christian lives stuck right here. They got enough of Jesus to keep them out of hell, but not enough to make, make us dangerous. You know what I mean? But I want to help you get unstuck. So there's a couple different stages Paul went through. After he got saved, he started talking about himself as a servant. And then a little bit later on in his writing, and I won't, I won't do it this morning because my arthritis is bothering me a little bit, and I don't know that I could get back up, but I would lay completely on my face and say, really, then the next stage after becoming a servant was he considered himself a slave to Christ. And it kind of messes with a lot of our mind because if you think about it posture-wise, I go from being saved to being, a, to being a servant to being slave. It's not really like you ascend in Christianity, do you? It's a lowering of ourselves. To get closer to Jesus. So this morning, I just all I want to do for just a few minutes before we close, I want to zoom in on the part of the process that says from saved to servant. From that moment that I say I surrender to Jesus, spiritual growth for me, if I want to get closer to Jesus at this point, it involves me moving a little bit more along this line. So here's our text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul summarizing his entire life in two paragraphs. I don't know how he does it. I couldn't do it. But Paul summarizes his whole life in two paragraphs. And here's what he says. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a, a, Hebrew, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. In other words, he wasn't born into, into Christianity. He was born into Judaism. 
I was a member of the Pharisees, which meant he got an incredible amount of religious education. And it did not teach that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And that was part of, part of his foundational understanding. Who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harsh, harshly persecuted the church. He actually oversaw the execution and murder of anybody who called themselves a Christian, a follower of Christ. He was the whole way down at Sour. Dangerous place to be. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Actual Greek translation is a stronger word than garbage. It's actually dung, solid humid waste. That's what he called everything else compared to knowing Jesus. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness by obeying the law. In other words, it's not like I think that I'm just a good enough moral person. I don't think that that's enough to make me right with Jesus. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I, I love this verse. In fact, we just sang it a second ago. I want to know you more, right? That song, Surrender. I want to know Christ. And, and this is where it gets wild, guys. Here's spiritual growth for Paul. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Wow. So where is your dot this morning? Doesn't matter where I think your dot is. Where do you and God agree on your dot being this morning? You, need, you and God need to agree on this because what's tragic is for you and God to disagree on this. And you say, I'm so close to Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him. I'm not acting. But man, I'm a good moral person. I volunteer and serve. I give money to the church. I came to church this morning. I must be really close to Jesus. And God says, well, if you've never surrendered to me, you might be real close to here, but you right here. That's tragic. The, flip, the inverse is also true. You can have people that, that love Jesus with all their heart, have surrendered to him, or, uh, they're saved, but they feel like because I make mistakes or I've got issues, hang-ups, habits, and things like that, that, that I must not be, and they think they're way over here. And they're living a depressed, you know, a depressed, private, sad, sorry existence when God says, really, you know what, you're right here. You and God need to agree about where you are in relationship to him, and I want to help you with that. So let's talk about what happens when I get saved. Just two things. We could talk about this for, for 12 months. Let me just give you two things. What happens when I get saved? When I surrender? You might be here this morning right here saying, I am a seeker. I'm thinking about all this. I'm, I'm just not sure. Let me, tell you, let me tell you two things that happen when you get saved. Two things. Number one, I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Has to happen. Cannot pass, go, and collect. Well, you don't collect $200 when you get saved. More people would pray, but it... it We'll edit that out later. That wasn't theologically correct. But I make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Now, these are Christian buzzwords. Let me break these down for a little bit so you understand what this means. Those of you that have been saved for, for 125 years, I also want you to think about this this morning. First of all, you're very old. But second, I'm just, we'll edit that out too. I'm really tired and my filter isn't working real well this morning. So this will either be remember, memorable or forgettable. Here's what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and also believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. So two things. You have to confess with your mouth. We talked about confession a couple weeks ago. Pastor Brian and I sat up here and chatted about it. 
If you can honestly, transparently, with all the passion, you say, Jesus, you are my Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those two things have to happen. It's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Let's break down what the word Lord means. If I'm going to make Jesus my Lord, let me let you know what you've already committed to or what you're thinking about committing to. Lord means this. If someone is your Lord, that means they are the one with ultimate power and authority over me. Complete power and authority. Now think about this. If you've asked Jesus in your heart and you consider yourself to be saved, is Jesus your Lord? Wow, resounding confidence in the room. This is awesome. Is Jesus your Lord? How many of you in the room would say that I've made a decision? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just trying to get some engagement here. If you've asked Jesus in your life, did you make him your Lord at salvation? Yes, I hope so. That means he has ultimate power and authority over everything. Did you realize that when you asked him into your life? I hope you did, because that doesn't mean he's Lord of most or Lord of some. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of everything. If I want relationship with Jesus, I must make him my Lord. Now, we don't have lords and servants in our society. They did back in the day. If you were the servant to the Lord, you had no rights, really. Whatever the Lord said, wished, wanted was your responsibility. So if Jesus is Lord over my life, that means he's Lord over my time. He is Lord over my finances. He's Lord over my attitudes. He's Lord over my relationships. He's Lord over my money. Right? So is he Lord over everything or just some of your stuff? Now, if we're all honest, we'd say I'm working on this. Okay. But you need to understand if this relationship between you and God is going to work, you don't bring, it's not, a, it's not a democracy. You don't get a vote. That's part of it. If you are going to believe that God is everything he says he is, that he has his best for you, that his intentions for you are perfect and wonderful and good, then you coming in and debating and arguing, no, you've got to think of him as your Lord and you're just the servant. Whatever he says, we do. Whatever he says, we stop. We stop. When he says go, I go. When he says wake up, I get up. When he says give it up, I give it up. There's no debate. There's no argument. That's just how it is. If Jesus is my Lord, then he has ultimate power and authority over everything. And here's the thing. He doesn't demand it. You choose it. He doesn't force you into a relationship with him. No one put a gun to your head and forced you to pray a prayer and start a relationship with Jesus. You chose voluntarily to make him your Lord. Now, everybody's going to realize that this is the real deal one day. In fact, there's a great verse about this towards the end of the New Testament that says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, right? Some of you know the old hymn, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, right? Confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you go back and read where that story took place. It takes place after the whole earth and heaven. When this whole earth is gone, every human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl will have a point where they will know for sure. Because they'll be in the presence of Jesus and everybody will say, he's really Lord. But it will be too late for that to affect anybody. All it is is just a presentation of the fact that he really is Lord. And the natural reaction will be for everybody to fall on their face. You need to make a decision about whether he's going to be your Lord and your Savior before that happens. Savior means this. One who rescues me from something. I'm going to speed up a little bit here. I already re- by that I don't mean I talk faster because I don't think that's humanly possible. I speak like 175 words a minute with like gusts of up to 250. It's crazy. (laughs) Savior means one who rescues me from something. You know, 
The only person who will accept Jesus into their life for real and never desert him is a person who has come from the, to the terrifying conclusion that they need a savior. Until you've come to a terrifying conclusion that you need Jesus, you won't stick with him. You won't. Because you can abandon something you don't need, but if you need something, you're not going to abandon it. A savior is somebody who rescues me from something. If you don't feel like you need rescued from sin, if you don't feel like you need rescued from yourself, if you don't feel like you need rescued from your past, then nothing I'm saying is going to make much sense to you until you have an encounter with Jesus where you realize you need him. When I was a younger guy, like sixth grade, I was five foot three by five foot five, okay? Not real easy on the eyes. I had girl problems. I really wanted a girl. I didn't have one. That was a problem. So what I did was, you know, to try and impress girls, I would, you know, try and throw my weight around, literally, every time that I got a chance. So we had this pool party, right? Now, I couldn't swim. Dad didn't swim. Mom didn't take a swimming. I couldn't swim. So I'm like sixth grade-ish at the time, and we're at the Howard Johnson's in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, having a swimming party. And down at the deep end of the pool, what the big kid did, me, was I just threw kids in the pool. It's a lot of fun. I would just, kid walk by the pool, I'd grab them, throw them in. One of the girls said, I don't want to get my hair wet. You know, we'd get a bunch of us, throw her in the pool. It was great. A lot of fun. Threw them in the deep end, threw them in the deep end. Well, after a while, people get the idea, let's throw the bully in the deep end, right? So about, I don't know, 90 kids, because it took that many, because I was fighting them all off valiantly. About 90 kids come gather around me, throw me in the deep end of the pool. Oh, man. First of all, you cannot scream and fall into the water at the same time. Think about it. You know, your mouth wide open, you get in the pool, and it just rushes right in there. Nice big mouth of chlorinated water. So I am literally, I, I, I swallow water as soon as I go in the pool. I can't touch the bottom. And I went from zero to panic in a second. I was drowning. And everybody was laughing. And I was drowning. Until this little 17-year-old lifeguard, you know, this little, she weighed about 80 pounds, soaking, dripping wet. Had to, like, get a little pole and reach the pole out there. And I'm going crazy. Grab on the pole. She reels me into shore. I was mortified. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. But I had a whole new appreciation for lifeguards and a whole new appreciation for people who couldn't swim. And, I, and something changed in my mind. I was like, this will never happen again. I got swimming lessons. I learned how to doggy paddle. You know, that's about all that I can handle. But, you know, I decided I am never jumping into the deep end of the pool without knowing what I'm doing first, because if I get in there, I'm going to need to be rescued. It made me change my whole life until you come into a terrifying conclusion that without Jesus, you're just going to be drowning in the deep end of the pool, jumping into something you didn't know you were getting into. You won't stick with them. But once you do, it will change everything about you. So when you get saved, two things have to happen. I say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're the ultimate power and authority over everything. And you're also my savior because you rescued me from who I was and who I used to be. Second thing that happens I will not go deep into this one. Jesus' spirit fuses with my spirit. This requires a whole lot of other teaching. But here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He says, when we get saved, we are joined together with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. I'm trying to condense it to two sentences. Basically, what happens is, is this, and we'll talk more about this later. When you and I get saved, if you drew three circles on your pa- paper, you just do a circle, and then a circle inside that circle, and then one more circle inside of it. That's kind of a cross-section of all of us. God said we're going to design people in our image, 
And since God is three in one, people are three in one. Paul writes about this. We all have a body. We have a soul. We have a spirit. Our body doesn't have a brain. It's just our senses. Okay, it's sinful. The body does exactly what the soul tells it to. That's where our mind, our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes are. In other words, my foot walks where my brain tells it to go. My, um, my eyes look at what my mind you know, directs my eyes to look at. That's how things get access. You hear, speak. Which is why it makes sense when Paul said, you know, if you want to be saved, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. And that gives God access to my spirit, which is the part of me that lives forever. Here's the cool thing. When I get saved, and the analogy of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, I can't really go into all that this morning, but here, here's the bottom line. When I get saved into my spirit comes Christ's spirit, says the Bible, and it fuses together with my spirit so that we're one. Doesn't mean I'm God, but it means everything that is in Christ's spirit is fused together with me. So I said, well, I don't feel like a joyful person. Well, guess what? When you got saved, Christ's spirit of joy was fused together with your spirit. Well, I don't feel like I have a, a lot of strength. Well, guess what? When you got saved, all of the strength of the spirit of Christ was fused together with your spirit. Well, how come I don't feel that way? Because we need to get what's in your spirit out of you so that it can affect you. We've got all this stuff sitting in there just kind of lying dormant. That's why when Paul said, think on these things, he's saying, go into your spirit, find the thought stream of Jesus, and let those thoughts come up into your brain. And then you say, listen, I'm not going to stop thinking these pessimistic thoughts about myself. I'm going I'm to change the playlist. And I'm going to put the playlist of, of what God's thinking about right now. And I'm going to play that and put it on repeat. And let that go. Because when I start thinking differently, I start acting differently. So when I get saved, one of the benefits is everything that is in Christ's spirit is fused together with your spirit. So how do I move from that point and grow spiritually? To keep growing spiritually after salvation, I must become a servant of Christ. It's interesting when you read Paul's chronological writing. If you put everything he wrote in chronological order from young to old, he started describing himself at the beginning. He said, I am Paul and I am an apostle of Jesus because no one would listen to Paul. They were just scared of him because they only knew him as Saul, and he was the guy that went around killing Christians. So they thought it was like the wolf in sheep's clothing act. Like Paul was just pretending to be a Christian so they'd invite him to come to their church, and then he'd kill them all. So no one wanted anything to do with him. So he constantly had to say, no, 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 I'm not Saul anymore. I am Paul, the apostle. Well, you're not an apostle. You weren't one of the 12. He's like, well, I had an experience on the Damascus Road. I had a personal experience with Jesus, so I am an apostle. But then about five, ten years later, he started calling himself something different. He had five or ten years of, of walking and growing spiritually. And he said, I'm not, it's not so much about me being a apostle, about Paul, a servant of Christ. And then about 15 years later, if you read his writing, he said, I am Paul, and I'm just happy to be a slave to Jesus. And the closer he got to Jesus, it was less about his title and more about how, how much of himself he could give away and lower to have more relationship with Jesus. And it's kind of backwards to the way that a lot of us think. So what does being a servant to Christ mean? Let me give you three real practical things. Let's, let, let's make this um, real practical. All over the New Testament, all over the New Testament, we get ideas about that being a servant is where God wants us to move towards. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, the greatest among you, you want to be great? You know what you got to be? Be a servant. Acts chapter 3 verse 26, it descri- when Luke wrote, he described Jesus Christ. as says, when God raised up his servant, Jesus, Jesus is our example, and he was willing to be a servant. Paul writes in Romans 15, 8, remember that Christ came as a servant. So what does it mean? Number one, it means giving up my rights in order to give away myself. Yikes. We like our rights around here, don't we? We fight for them, vote for them, vote people in and out of office to protect our rights. You know what being a servant means? It means, you know what, I'm going to give up some of my rights to take this job. Gets a little yucky at this point. Some of us are stuck growing spiritually because it's all about your rights. 
I have a right to come to church when I want to and when I don't want to. I have a right to talk to who I want and who I don't want. I have a right to, to keep as much of my money for myself as possible and give the least amount that I can to God and still feel good about it. I have a right to say no when a pastor asks me this. I have the right to avoid people at the grocery store if I don't want to talk to somebody. I have the right to avoid messes I didn't make. I have the right to not help in problems that I didn't create. I have those rights. You do. You have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? But you'll discover something. You want to be a servant? You aspire to be a servant? It's not really about getting another degree or more training. It's about what are you willing to give up to get it? But a lot of Christians don't think of Christianity as what can I give up? They ask the question, what can I get away with and still be all right? See, when I grew up in church, I didn't like church very much. I didn't like Christians. Stopped going when I was 16. My dad was the pastor. I just played as many sports and got as many jobs as I could to stay away from Christians. Didn't like them. Ruined my family. Hated it. But when I went to my youth group every now and again on a Wednesday night, it was like the same message every week. How far is too far? Back in the day, the big debate in our youth group was how much could you do on a date with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before it was sexual sin? And I will tell you, some of the most awkward conversations I've had in my life are sitting there listening to uh, you know, a 55-year-old dude explain to me about what I couldn't do on a date. In fact, it educated me more because I had no girlfriend. So, I mean, it was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I didn't, you, what? I know you said I couldn't, but I really want to try that. That's really interesting, you know. <laughs> but here's the question they were asking, really. How much can I do? How far to this line can I get and still be all right? What a horrible question. Let me ask you this, ladies, Mother's Day. Let me ask you this. Suppose your boyfriend or your husband comes to you and says, you know what, babe? You and I, we are in a committed relationship. You know I love you. There's this woman I work with, though. She's hot. I don't want to break up. I don't want to divorce. And I know I don't want to. I'm not going to sleep with her. But how much would you be all right with? <laughs> if you value your life. No. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? How do you think it sounds to God when we say, God, I love you. You and I are in a committed relationship. I don't want to go the whole way over here. But how far can I go until there's going to be a real problem? Is that spiritual growth? No. That's saying how much can I get away with and still be okay? Being a servant is how much can I give up? How much can I give up? What else can I give away, God, in order to be right with you? How much can I, how, how much can I give up in order to give away myself? Why don't you think about that? You want to grow spiritually? What are you willing to give up to go there? You have exactly as much Jesus as you want right now. Exactly as much. How can you say that, Pastor? Because the Bible tells me if I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. I move first. You have exactly as much Jesus as you want right now. You know what Paul says? I want to know Christ more. First three words, most important. I want to. All spiritual growth is voluntary. If you're not growing, it's because you don't want to. I want to. Then you're going to grow. You don't want to, you ain't going to grow. We're in Baltimore. You are not going to grow. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. My grammar has gotten worse when I moved to Georgia for 10 years. I'm getting better. Do you want to? Don't come crying to me. I'm not growing. God's not talking to me. Don't, want, don't expect me to be more spiritually invested in your growth than you. 
You have exactly as much as God's presence in your life as you want. He wants you to have it all. He's waiting for you to move. And he will meet you when you move, but not before then. If you want to grow spiritually, then you have to want to. If there's a problem with your want to, you're not going to grow. I want you to want to grow. That's what I want. I don't want to raise my son to need me the rest of the life, rest of his life to tell him when to do this and when not to do that and be his moral conscious. I'm going to help him as best I'm going to help him as best I can. But you know what I want as a dad? I want to raise him in such a way that my son wants to do the right thing cuz he wants to. God wants to raise you in such a way that you grow spiritually because you got to know him and you want him so bad. It's not about what you can keep away. It's just like whatever I can shed to get closer to him. Man, when you're in love with somebody, you give up all kinds of stuff. When I was dating my wife in college, look, I used to be, before I dated my wife, I was all about sports center and I knew this and that and every stat. When I started dating my wife, that stuff didn't matter as much. (laughs) Let's be real. Because <laughs> you will tell her what I said. <laughs> when you love somebody, it reorders things naturally without you having to sit down and stress over it. I didn't sit down and think, hmm, how many hours of sports center can I give up to make candy? It was just like, I just like being with her. It wasn't this massive... We make spiritual growth so hard. It's just, would you spend a few moments with Jesus? The rest of it's so full. You taste a little bit of Jesus. And it's not like, hmm, let me make a list of what things I could give. It just, it doesn't become a science. You just start moving in that direction. Last two things. Exchanging my title for a towel. I need to explain this one. Or else we're going to have an unintentional toga party next week, and that's not what we want. (laughs) It's not the reputation we need exchanging my title for a towel. So here's what Jesus did. John chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. Jesus got up from the table. You'll remember this if you were at the Seder meal, right? Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. A few verses later, it says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Jesus came down from heaven. It's amazing the way Paul describes it. Jesus, who being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took upon himself the role of a slave by becoming a human being and set aside all of his godly privileges and perks and came to take on the form of a human being and deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wanted to serve you. He exchanged his title for a towel. A lot of you have real powerful titles. Look, Jesus was the undercover boss way before that they made that reality show up. You know, you see these shows on TV. If you've not seen this show, it's all these CEOs and big high-flying Fortune 500 business owners who want to get in touch with the people that work on the low level of their job. So they go in disguise and they go incognito and they go work alongside some of the grunt laborers for some day just to kind of get a feel of things. Jesus did that way before. He didn't come down here to educate himself. He came down here to save us. And if we want to be a servant of Jesus, then it's not about your title. It's not about your role. It's not about how important you are, how much money you make, or how much education you have. It is, well, are you willing to get close enough to Jesus that you'll put that all aside and serve somebody if they need it? You'd be amazed if you knew what some of the people did for a living who come here at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning for no money and for two hours move chairs around. I'm not going to embarrass them. By t- there are... <laughs> Those people understand spiritual growth. 
It's not about their title. It's not about how many direct reports that they have outside of here. It's about what can they give away to pick up a towel and say, you know what, if it means wiping down the floor, if it means, if it means cleaning coffee stains up, if it means cleaning messes up I didn't make so that you can have a good experience. That's what they do because they understand spiritual growth because they want to serve you. They want to serve you. Last thing. Prioritize, being a servant means prioritizing the needs of others above my own need for convenience. Prioritizing the needs of others above my own need for convenience. Here's what Paul says again. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. You could just stop right there and go, you know, go home. I'm like, okay, I need to think about that. Be humble. Thinking of others as, <laughs> thinking of others as equal to yourself? Uh-uh-uh. That's like, that's like over here. <laughs> doing others you have them do under you, but you want to keep going, then you start thinking, of, you got to start thinking people are better than you. Esteeming other people better than yourselves. Doesn't say esteeming the people you like. Esteeming the people that do you right. It says esteeming other people better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then he writes to Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, aren't you glad it's in the Bible? Well, Pastor, I don't know if I am or not. Well, let's pray that God sends a difficult person in your life this week. You check yourself out. It means if I want to be a servant, I'm going to have, <laughs> there's going to have needs come up at times when it's least convenient for me. Anybody can serve when it's convenient. I wouldn't even really call that being a servant. Look, if the Lord of the house needs something done, He's not going to come and say, you know what, if it's all right with you, could you take, you know, could you could you put Netflix on pause for a second and kind of maybe go upstairs and straighten up if it's all right. If not, no biggie, no worries. So how the Lord, the Lord said, look, upstairs, something needs to be cleaned up. And you know what the servant says? All right. And there they go. We like things convenient. Pastor, I can't serve. It's just inconvenient. Well, OK. <laughs> what do I usually say? OK, no worries. No problem. I called a, a buddy of mine called me Friday night. He was going to help me move on Saturday. And is there anything less fun in life than moving? Gosh. Now it's not a good time to talk about that for me. <laughs> so I got a buddy, I mean, and I'm working as hard as I can to, to get everything done. And we had it all set up for Saturday. A buddy of mine texts me about 8 o'clock Friday night. I was in between moving stuff back and forth. And he said, are we going to move tomorrow even if it rains? I said, I haven't even looked at the weather yet. I look at the weather. It's like it's just, you know, green and red the whole way across. Like, oh. I just texted back, nah. I said, I said, if it rains, my stuff's going to get ruined. I said, I'll just, I'll just move through the night, and I think I can get it all down to just a little bit. He doesn't respond to the text. He calls me. And here's a guy that's got three kids, just moved into a house of his own, works a full-time job. He says, are, how excited are you about moving all night? <laughs> like, Really? <laughs> Oh, I'm not excited at all. I mean, I didn't like wake up this morning and say, you know what I'd like to do today would charge me up moving all night. Because you know what I do great on? No sleep. And then I'm going to preach Sunday morning with no filter. It's going to be awesome. No, I said, no, I'm not looking forward to it at all. He said, you want some help? I said, yeah, who do you think I should call? <laughs> he says, now I'll come help you. <laughs> here's what I say. And here's where it all lands right here. I said, you really want to leave your kids at home? And come help me move all night? Here's what he says. I'm willing. I was honest. 
He didn't say, yeah, man, absolutely. When things back in mind, that idiot, why did it? He just said, I'm willing. Now, the story doesn't end real well. I mean, he showed up, and then it really started pouring. Before we could go, he had already drunk, drank two monsters, and so he was ready to, to go, you know, like a cat. And I said, you know what? We're not going to be able to move tonight. So I sent him home to his kids with all that caffeine in his system. So that part of the story didn't end real well. But you know what? It was not convenient. I didn't call and ask him. He just said, you know, you're my pastor, and... Uh, if you're going to be moving all night, I'll come move with you. I'm willing. God's not asking you to have a game plan today. You just, are you willing? If you have a spontaneous connection this afternoon with somebody, you're not, and it's at a time that's not convenient for you. You've got groceries in your arm. You're running late. I find that those are usually the times that a need comes up. <laughs> Read Jesus' life, man. It wasn't like after Jesus had a good night's sleep and had got all his other appointments done and checked. His, then someone just came and knocked on the door and said, you know what? You know, my daughter's dying. If you're not too busy, could you? Jesus' whole life was about inconveniencing himself. And he loved to do it. In fact, he reprimanded people. He, Jesus had people around him and said, listen, man, leave Jesus alone. He is, he's really tired. He's been out here all day. Just hold up. And Jesus said, get out of the way. Come here, kid. What can I do for you? That's being a servant. You want to grow spiritually? You want to grow spiritually? What are you willing to give up to go there? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I love you. We love you. And in this room, as you're bowing your head and closing your eyes, we're getting ready to just close our service here in a moment. You might be saying, you know what? Today is the day I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready today to surrender my life to Jesus. I recognize now that I don't have to have it all together before I get saved. I don't have to, I don't have, to have everything given up. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong process. But you know what I want? I want him to be my Lord. I need to be rescued. I want his spirit to be fused together with mine. I want to have access to all the knowledge and the strength and the power and the joy that Jesus has to offer. I do want to be like him. And I recognize where I'm at in the process. I can't go any further until I surrender. All you have to do is right there in the seat, have an encounter with Jesus and pray a simple prayer like what I prayed when I asked Jesus into my heart. And I just said, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I've done my own thing. I've lived life my own way. I've been my own Lord. I've looked for other things to be my Savior. So today, I want to stop that, turn the page. I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord. You're the Lord. And now I voluntarily lower myself and make you my Lord. And I believe in my heart, God raised you from the dead. And because of that, Jesus, you're my Savior. You, if, you can, if you can defeat death, you can defeat anything in my life that's not right. You can rescue me from anything. So now I invite your spirit into my life. And I want to just keep moving incrementally a little bit at the time. Closer to being like you. Jesus, all of us across the house this morning, we recognize. We just scratched the surface on what it means to be, to be a servant. But some of us have felt stuck and stale in our relationship with you. And so what we want to do is clear a little space this morning in our hearts. We want to make a little room. Like John said, we have to decrease in order that you can increase. It's inversely proportional. The more of myself I give away, the, if I just shed one attitude and let you into that space, I'm going to grow spiritually. So Jesus, we decrease this morning in order that you can increase. I want to know you more. We are spiritually hungry and thirsty for more of you. I don't want the same amount of you in my life I had when I woke up this morning. I want more.
We look forward this Saturday to serving our community, Jesus. Blowing up an inflatable movie screen, showing a movie, painting faces for a couple hundred kids and just having a great time. But Jesus, if it's just about our name, and it's going to mean nothing. God, create hundreds of opportunities for us to put ourselves aside and serve somebody this week to lift your name up.